Hello, my name is Robert Picardo, and I played the emergency medical hologram on Star Trek Voyager, and you are listening to Priority One Podcast, because you are smart. Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 172 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, May 1st, 2014, live on trekradio.net, and available for download or streaming as of Monday, Cinco de Mayo, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. Hello, everybody. Well, Cookie, tell us what we have in store this week. Captains, with everyone still playing Season 9 content and Elijah and Jay's having covered the Star Trek convention in Cherry Hill, New Jersey during the weekend of April 25th, this week is going to be globally Star Trek heavy. For starters, in Trek It Out this week, we bring you an interview with Anthony Montgomery, also known as Helmsman Travis Mayweather in Star Trek Enterprise, followed by an interview with Robert Picardo, also known as the Doctor from Star Trek Voyager. In STO News, we're joined by a special surprise guest this week to tackle more Season 9 content. In our Community Spotlight segment, we introduce to you a new independent film project titled Star Trek Equinox. And of course, as always, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations and help us reach our monthly financial goals. We're all volunteers, and we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, with hosting fees, and to alleviate travel expenses when we cover conventions on location throughout the year. Captains, don't forget that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. In her latest Observer's blog, Candice Zanzinger revisits the broad spectrum of games and discusses an often misunderstood genre, the board game. But we're not talking Monopoly. So find out more by trekking this blog out and others only at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And lastly, Captains, before we move on with the show, we invite you to keep an eye on our social media platforms like Facebook.com slash PriorityOnePodcast or on Twitter at STOPriorityOne. We're hoping that every Sunday evening around 9 p.m. Eastern Time we'll be taking to Twitch.tv for live playthroughs of Star Trek Online, hosted by the cast and crew of Priority One Podcast and the Priority One Fleet. Subscribe to our channel at twitch.tv slash priority one. 
Well, Captains, let's trek out our interviews with Anthony Montgomery and Robert Picardo. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. I'm joined here with uh, Anthony Montgomery, who uh, our listeners may know as helmsman Travis Mayweather from Enterprise. Mr. Montgomery, you uh, yesterday were on stage and you spoke a lot about uh, a project that you're working on called Miles Away. So I'll ask you, you know, general questions about that as well. Yes. But first I want to ask you some trekkie questions, right? Okay. Some, some trekker things. You mentioned on stage that you weren't really a trekkie, at least during the, the filming of Enterprise. How, how has that changed for you? Uh, it hasn't changed too much. I mean, I haven't gone back and watched every episode i was a star trek fan anybody who is a fan of a positive experience a better way of life not just for them but for all mankind and in the case of gene roddenberry's universe humanoid or alien kind it does not matter if you aspire for better in an experience or your existence then i'm a fan of that so I was a fan of what Gene Roddenberry's core message was, and that hasn't changed. I'm now a part of your life and millions of lives in the global lexicon for the rest of my life. So I just stay in the same lane that I've always been in, and people are now kind of catching up to where I've been the whole time. One of the questions that I like asking is, over the course of the last several years, especially now with J.J. Abrams releasing the new films, mm -hmm. there's a new crowd of people coming in. Yes. You know, what have you noticed over the years in the conventions, the changes of the attendees coming in? Uh, the changes that I've seen since I've been going to them, probably the biggest changes have come from core Star Trek fans and core techies that didn't give our show the credit or a chance in the beginning now, after the show is gone, most of them walk up to me and say, Anthony, I'm really sorry that I didn't watch your show when it was on the air. It was really good. And I said, yeah, thank you. We thought so, too. So that's literally probably the biggest change that I've seen since the show has gone off. It's gotten this massive following, not just because we only went four seasons, which was still one more than the original, but because people get now that we weren't trying to change what you already knew and loved about Star Trek, they, they being the powers that be at Paramount, were wanting to create something to give you a different and a similar but different experience with Star Trek. But because it was too different and, well, no, that would never happen. And they don't have, they don't have theme songs that sing and have words. And when people do, they, they didn't give it a chance. And now, Later on, people, the same people, and I remember one lady specifically came up to me and said, I used to hate that Enterprise theme song, but it's actually really good. And I say, yeah, it is, because when you think about what it says for what our show was, or what our show is, it was the perfect theme song. And a lot of fans may or may not know, but I'm sure your techie fans know, the original series had words. Gene Roddenberry wrote words, but the decision makers left the words out so it's not like having words in a theme was new but they finally did it on our series so those are probably the biggest differences it's just that people have embraced it a lot more 
Now, speaking about the series, uh, yesterday when you were on stage, you talked about if Enterprise was taken in a different direction, it might have stayed on the air longer. You mentioned that's switching the... My, but, but right, I, your, that's in my... I said yeah, that's yeah. in my opinion, so I don't want any techies going, you know what, if Paramount had done this, then Anthony said no. I'm saying I personally think because we got more comfortable, we being the cast, got more comfortable with what we were doing and the synergy just as an ensemble and by the third and fourth seasons definitely by season four we had really hit our stride so what i was saying on stage was i personally believe that if they had started season one with the zindi arc which was such a departure from most of the things that you guys have seen like maybe we start with the reason why we had to go after the zindi the end of season two that's what led into season three so if we had done something like that at season one you do the whole Zindi arc on season one and then jump into our season four in season two. If we had been able to find that groove, I personally believe we would have been able to do seven seasons and features and everything. Because quite honestly, that's what the contract I signed. That's what they talked to me about before we ever filmed the very first day. They said we were going to be doing all of those different things because they didn't do movies or anything with the Voyager cast. All right, now let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the your Miles Away project. Yes, yes. Uh, let's start from the beginning. Yep. Tell us about Miles Away. Miles Away is about a 16-year-old named Maxwell Miles who has a clouded history. He develops a superhuman ability, gets recruited by a shadowy organization to battle Madame Iniquity and her evil minions, because all evil beings have minions, on future Earth. It takes place in 2089. I wanted it in the future, but still close enough to us to be relatable. He also allies with alien refugees and falls into an interstellar war as he explores his family's dark past. It's going to be a transmedia franchise, a graphic novel, which I've been on a world tour with since April 24th of 2013, and animation, and then three to four years after the animation launches, the goal is to do the very first live action feature film. I have a virtual who's who that is doing voices in the animation, including my entire cast, including Jolene and Linda. Uh, Scott is playing the leader of the organization that recruits Max. I've got members from the Voyager franchise, Garrett Wong, who was the very first person. Garrett and I are really good friends, and he was the very first person to say yes. Bob Picardo, Armin Shimmerman, Tim Russ from TNG, The Next Generation, Marina Sertis, who was the very first person from that show to say yes, Michael Dorn, Brent Spiner, Jonathan Frakes from Deep Space Nine, Sirach Lofton, Avery Brooks, and I've talked to Nana Visitor about doing it also from the original series. Nichelle Nichols is going to be voicing the matriarch, the queen matriarch on the other world that I created. But it's not just my Star Trek family. I have two of the members for any Harry Potter fans out there. I've got the Weasley twins, James Phelps and Oliver Phelps. They're going to be playing a set of alien twins that I've created for them. I've got three of the knights from the Merlin, the BBC Merlin series that are going to be doing voices. I've got Alan Tudyk from Firefly. I've got Tony Todd, the original Candyman, doing a voice. Keith David. Um... I have a, it's just become, I've been doing all of this on my own. I'm not a studio. I just had a vision of something that I wanted to do. And I had always planned on doing it as a cartoon, 
but then some people suggested that I should do a graphic novel first because Hollywood doesn't have a lot of originality sometimes and they're just grabbing all of these different properties and then turning them into the same kinds of things that I'm doing right now. The people that have signed on to do the animation, if they are physically able, will also be doing their same roles in the live action feature films if they are physically able, because the character Nichelle is playing, for instance, is she's an alien character, and when, the, when it goes live action, Nichelle isn't going to be the actual one inside the costume. But people like Scott or Bob, they're, if they're playing human characters, then they will play themselves in it. And it's been a lot of fun. It's, the demographic is for nine to 12 year old boys is, is essentially the target demographic for the animation because in the back of the book, for anybody that has already seen it or that will see it, I do a what I like to call DVDs extra section and I chronicle the history of the book. And I met with Disney and Cartoon Network and they are both trying to tap into that demographic, the 9 to 12, which is why they do things like Adventure Time and the different shows. But I've seen a lot of those because I had to do the research so I can have so I can speak effectively. I those shows are funny, but we're not pandering to kids. We're not talking down to them. I'm giving a Star Trek-esque, if you want to use that, experience on a lower on a younger tier. So for the graphic novel, it's not graphic in the sense that you see heads being chopped off or, you know, explicit, explicit <laughs> gratuity. No, it's not a watchman. No, it's, it's something that you can take your family to see. And because I know that that's what the networks and the studios are looking for, I said, well, why don't I just create something to fill that void in that demographic? And what a lot of people see, because Max is, he becomes an agent for this organization, and he has a superhero costume that he will ultimately end up wearing. People see it, and they think that I just created a black superhero because there is this massive outcry for why are there no more, why aren't there more minority superheroes? I wasn't, that wasn't my point. My point was to create a compelling character and a compelling journey for that character to go on, and everything else that other people put on it. I wasn't trying to make a black statement. I was just making a statement. Gene Roddenberry didn't say I'm going to do this so that I can make humans feel better, so I can make aliens feel better. He just came out with a vision and then everybody else infuses their own lives and their own experiences into that. So I've done the exact same formula as Gene Roddenberry, George Lucas, James Cameron, you name it, anybody that can come up with their own so that they can inspire this world. That's what Miles Away is. Are there any other specific projects that you've drawn inspiration from when writing, for instance, the graphic novel and then now adapting that to animation? Uh, no, I mean, not one specific because I'm a sci-fi fan myself. So it just, I've just been influenced. I just allowed my creativity to go wherever it was. I didn't look at something and say, oh, they did this so I can do that. No, I just created it and said, all right, let's see how everybody embraces it. But for me, I know I gave it 180%. My writing partner for the book, the person that physically wrote the book, his name is Brandon Easton, and he's one of the writers for the new Thundercats series. He's uh, also Transformers Rescue Bots. He's a writer for them. 
he actually took my ideas and then penned the script, sent it back to me, and then I did the full rewrite because I knew exactly if he would write something that wasn't in alignment with the vision that I had, I would then do my rewrite, and by the time I sent it over to my animation team or my drawing team, because I can't draw stick figures, by the time I sent it over to them, then it was exactly what I wanted it to be. So I didn't really draw from other things. I just I knew what I wanted mine to be, and the biggest thing that I drew from them was just to let your creativity go. Don't try to rein it in. Let it take its own course. Now, you mentioned also that you may not be a big production company. And, and yet. Yet, yet. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of Kickstarter projects and Indiegogo. Is that yes. a direction that you've thought of uh, taking miles away? I have, but because we see so many of them, I'm not going to. Because I don't want to have too many things that God keeps aligning for this thing to go right, for me to go out there and now start saying, hey, will you guys do this for me? Come on, no, it's really worth it. No, I'm going to go to investors and take them the package and say, this is what's going on. Do you really want to be the one that said no to J.K. Rawlings? Do you want to be the guy that said, Gene, this isn't going to work? So I have a lot of examples for when I hear people say, well, no one's ever done something like that. I know, but they had never done Star Trek. They had never done Star Wars or Avatar or The Matrix. Don't allow that to stop you from getting behind something because you've never seen it. Well, Mr. Montgomery, thank you so much for your time. Tell our audience and our listeners how they can catch up with you, how they can uh, get a copy of Miles Away. Yes, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. A. Montgomery, M-R-A-M-O-N-T-G-O-M-E-R-Y. You can actually get the book on Amazon. I was told that it may be sold out on Amazon, but I have contacted my distributor, so I'm excited. Thank you for everybody that's already bought one. If you guys did and did make it sell out, thank you, thank you. Um, they can get it at Barnes & Noble and continue on Facebook. Like my Facebook fan page, because all of those things matter to the powers that be in Hollywood, and they will help me get it out to the masses even more, much easier than I can. If anybody that is following me I always update on my Twitter and Facebook and things where I'm going to be taking the book so that I can have this, in, this personal connection with everyone. So thank you to all of the Priority One listeners out there. Thank you all techies. And uh, welcome to the Miles Away universe, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Today I'm joined by Star Trek Voyager's very own doctor, the hugely talented Robert Picardo. Mr. Picardo, thank you for spending some time with us here at Priority One Podcast. I am delighted to be on Priority One Podcast. <laughs> thank you. I wanted to talk to you about Renegades. It's a highly anticipated independent film project that Star Trek fans are dying to see. It's already had uh, two very good successful Kickstarter projects. Can you talk to us about your involvement? How did you get involved? Uh, well, I was asked, I think, originally by Sky Conway, the producer, and Ethan Kalk, uh, the uh, screenwriter and co-producer. And, but it might have first come through Tim Russ, who, of course, who's my colleague for seven years on Voyager. Tim, in addition to being an extraordinary actor, is a great director, and uh, he works quickly, and he manages a, to make uh, a small budget look like a big budget. So I said I agreed in principle. I had a conversation with him. I said I didn't want to play the doctor per se. I wanted to play Louis Zimmerman because years have gone by, and uh, the doctor should not have aged, so I felt uh, I would play the engineer. Uh, we were in discussion some time. They set dates for the shooting. I gave them my take on how I would fit in the story. They wrote a very good script. And then about 
a month before we started shooting, I was cast in a theater production that I very much wanted to do. So I called them and said, how can we fix this? And they were very accommodating because they'd already changed their dates once, which I could have made. So the agreement was that they would um, introduce a new character to carry much of the dramatic weight of my character in the present script, and they would make me the colleague, mentor, and in fact, lover of the new character, who of course was played by Sean Young. So basically, I came in one day, a, a day off, uh, the day before I started rehearsing my new play, and I had to make out with Sean Young for several hours, which is, which fellows, I have to tell you, it's a, it's a tough, tough job, but, uh, but it's, it's not without its rewards. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, one thing I like to ask Star Trek alum is, over the course of the last several years, we've seen, of course, the JJ reimagining of, of Star Trek, and with that has come a new influx of fans. Over the years, what changes have you noticed in the convention attendees? Well, uh, certainly since the J.J. The, uh, Abrams reboot of the movie franchise, we see many more young fans. There's no doubt about it. They, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people go see the movie without uh, ever having seen any Star Trek before, and then they're captured by the excitement of the, of the story, and then they go back and revisit all the earlier ones. They may look at earlier movies, or they may go right to the original series. However they find their way, they will often uh, view everything. So I meet a lot of young fans now that are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and they've seen all of Voyager either on DVD or, more popularly, on Netflix. So it's been, the rebooting of the show has been great for the brand name. It's brought in a lot of new fans, a lot of young blood, and I just think, it, and, and what J.J. has done is very exciting. He makes a movie that works totally as an action-adventure movie, as well as uh, still delivering on all of Star Trek's classic themes of hope for the future and, you know, uh, different cultures and peoples working together in harmony and technology serving man, ennobling man, rather than destroying him. Now, before we let you go, uh, what other projects are you involved with? Uh, charities? You mentioned a theatrical project. Yes. Uh, well, the 12 Angry Men, which I did, uh, which kept me out of uh, a larger part in Renegades, is closed. My last job, I just went to Texas and starred in a web series called Morganville, um, for Geek and Sundry website, uh, I play a 415-year-old English vampire who may or may not be Oliver Cromwell. It was great fun. I have a long-haired wig, which was a vicarious thrill for me. Um, I also uh, did a, uh, another original movie envisioned to be part of a series based on the old series Space Patrol called Space Command Redemption. I have a terrific role in that. With Mark, Mark Scott Zickery. Right? Mark Scott Zickery wrote a who did the uh, famous uh, New Voyages episode with George Takei, has written a terrific script. I'm the hero, kind of, uh, the hero martyr, I guess, of the first uh, movie that he envisioned six of, I believe. Uh, that was great fun. Another secret movie project that I cannot talk about. We did a short film presentation that hopefully will turn into the feature that it needs to be. And, uh, and then I did a movie uh, called that used to be called At World's End for Asylum Pictures, and I cannot remember the title. I always have to check it up. So I have to check my own IMDb uh, website uh, database to find out the name of that movie. But that hasn't come out yet. So I've been doing a lot of often sci-fi themed movies, guest star on Bones and different television shows and, and staying pretty busy. 
Wonderful. And uh, charity. Uh, you are very actively involved. Uh, several of the Vegas um, charity and nonprofits. Uh, the Planetary Society, I'd like to give all of your listeners a shout out. Please go to www.planetary.org. Uh, Bill Nye is our executive director. The Planetary Society, if you're interested in science fiction, you are by definition interested in the Planetary Society because it's the true state of our, uh, of, of our exploration of space. That what's really happening, very exciting, beautiful images. Uh, and great articles. Um, and uh, I also uh, have raised money fairly regularly in the past uh, for the Pediatric AIDS Foundation and more recently for Habitat for Humanity. Uh, today, because it's that season, uh, the season we just finished the season of Lent and Easter, which is the season of, of almsgiving and all that, I raised money today for uh, the Brooklyn Archdiocese and also for my archdiocese out in California, which is called Together in Mission, which is money, uh, which basically gets divided as needed among the poor um, uh, parish churches in, in, the, in Brooklyn and the Los Angeles area, respectively. And I got great response from the audience, so it's an easy thing to do, and, and it, the, one of the wonderful things about Star Trek fans is that they are not only interested in what you're interested in, because they're interested in you, but they are very, uh, very good with um, supporting your charity. They're very civic-minded, and they, and they love to help out when you call their attention to something. Well, Mr. Picardo, thank you very much for your time. I very greatly appreciate it, and so do our listeners. My pleasure. Thank you all. Remember, www.planetary.org. Be there. A big thanks to Creation Entertainment for allowing us to conduct these interviews on location at the Star Trek convention in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Discover something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Send them over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And let's check out what happened in Stow News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Captains, today we have a surprise guest returning to the show for an impromptu appearance. Is Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Welcome back, Al. It's been so long. It's been ages. So much has happened. <laughs> okay, so you're back on the show because you left us a piece of great feedback, tough love feedback, about last week's uh, discussion over the Undine lockbox. Now, Captains, you can find that feedback on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO171. So, Al, give us that feedback now that we're on the air. Let our listeners kind of understand what you were saying telling us i hope it didn't come off as too tough no no. <laughs> <laughs> you know i listen to the shows I, as i do every monday morning i want you know check out the new show but uh, i listened to the show and i really generally felt that some of the things that were talked about felt kind of misrepresented about what we were doing and you know i love what priority one does all the time and i really want to encourage feedback when you know, when you guys don't like something, because that's what keeps us honest, and I respect the opinion here of Priority One a lot. But sometimes I think it would be great if the discussion you had on the show about, say in this case, the lockbox and the reputation, that you would be that frank with me directly, because then we can kind of dispute it and debate it, and uh, that we get a chance to see both sides. But I felt that uh, what was being discussed was a little uninformed and a little misrepresentational and a little one-sided. So I really felt like I needed to chime in. And one, I wanted to address some of your concerns. And two, I wanted to make sure that all the information was out there. I'm sure a lot of people respect Priority One's opinions as I do. And it can really affect what people's impressions are of the product. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit about you. So I sent this email and it got longer and longer and because I can never shut up. 
and then you asked me if I wanted to come on the show to kind of talk about it in person, and I thought that'd be great. So we can kind of go through all the points one at a time, or if you had want to start with any questions first, that'd be great too. No, actually, I think it's a good idea. We'll go with one point one at a time, and and now you know that we do do our best, and we so much appreciate that you come on the show and that you trust us to come on and talk about Star Trek Online with us. And you know, unfortunately, I think what ended up happening too is that the lockbox came out after the interview. Right? I think so. But but the blogs didn't. The blogs came out first. Right. The blogs didn't. You're, no, you're right. You're right. And I do have an apology coming because to start with, right? Let's start with the first point where I said that the lockbox was hyper-focused. Okay, sure. We'll start with that one. That's fine. Let's start with that one. Okay. I was wrong. You're, I was absolutely wrong. And I'm sorry. I was erroneous in saying that the lockbox items and the content in them uh, were hyper-focused against the Undine. Now, so I read through the blog again, uh, blog number 19, and started kind of really focusing in on the traits, on the kit modules, and I was 100% wrong. They're really not. One thing that you mentioned in your feedback is that, for instance, the general theme of the reputation rewards is that they're designed to fight the group, while the lockbox is about emulating what they do. And so I was wrong, 100%. That, that is generally the theme that we try to do with both lockboxes and with reputations in general. Um, it didn't start out that way. I mean, even the Omega rep and the gear that's in there was always kind of a little anti-Borg. So that was kind of like the inspiration for that in the beginning. And then, you know, we did the Tholian rep and some of the stuff in there was, you know, that Sonic stuff that fights against the Tholians. And so that started becoming the general theme and we got better cadence at doing that every time. So definitely whenever we release a lockbox, we're always very conscious about making sure that there's no you know, as little as possible remorse about anything you get from Lockbox and when you get gear from there that it's all always useful. And being that the stuff from there is the general theme of a lockbox is always like, well this is kind of stuff that we salvage from fighting these bad guys, or this is kind of stuff that we uh reverse engineered from the bad guys. That's kind of the fiction, the unspoken fiction of what's going on in there. And the reputation system is usually some sort of, you know, strike force. It's a counter command, and you're getting stuff to help you fight that group, whether it's Voth or Undine or Tholian or Borg or whatever. But very specifically, I want to be really clear about, and it's not just from Priority One, um, when it comes to the reputation gear, there are definitely comments I'm seeing on the forums about people thinking that the gear and the items and the rewards and the traits in the Undine counter command reputation system is all hyper-focused and only specialized for fighting Undine. And that really is not true at all. They all offer bonuses to fight the Undine, but the gear in itself is all good gear by itself. For instance, you can get in there, you can get a kit module for a tactical office. I'll use one as an example. There's a grenade in there. Okay, that you can get a photon grenade. It is better by itself, just by itself, than any photon grenade that you can get right now in the game. So it's a photon grenade plus biomolecular incubation. The design from that is on Voyager when they designed these Borg nanites to infect the Undine. When they shot the Undine, nothing happened for a few seconds, and then the ship sparked and blew up, right? It basically had a delayed explosion, not unlike the Harpang torpedo. So that effect, that proc, is throughout a lot of the gear that is in the Undine reputation. And that works on any critter. It just does bonus damage also to Undine. So you would be silly to not want to have, if you use Photon Grenade, to not want to have the Photon Grenade kit module from that rep because it does the bonus delayed explosion 
And then if you happen to fight Undine, it's also better against Undine. That's generally the theme that we do with all the gear in the reputation, that it does something more than what you've had before, and then something more. So it's plus one against everything else, and plus two versus Undine. So it's always good. Now, if you're fighting Voth, the Voth gear is also the same way. If you're in the Voth reputation, it's plus one against everything, and then plus two against Voth. And so, yes, if you get both gear, maybe you could use the, uh, the loadout systems and, and swap between them. But either one of them is going to be good. It's going to be better than any standard gear you have, and just as good as any other rep gear against any normal thing. But it will also do bonus against what it was designed against. But in the lockbox, that's not true. Everything in there is designed to be good against anything. And there's some really, really neat stuff in there. Um, there's some really unique items in there. Um, and they've got some of the coolest guns that are available in there, like the planet killer gun that you can get on the ground, the fluid anti-proton wrist lance, for instance. It does a pretty amazing explosion, and then what it will do is you'll see these little crackles of sparks coming out the ground that will travel away from the explosion, and uh, anything caught up in that will also take additional damage. So it's like already better than a standard AOE blast gun. Plus, it also has a little traveling, uh, little electrical fires, so kind of like thermite a fiery trail that comes out from the point of explosion. And plus, this is the first time that we are releasing rewards in both the rep and the lockbox, where we've got the new kit frames and the new kit modules. So some you can get from the rep and some you can get from the lockbox. And they're all better than any standard kit items that you can get in the game in the past or currently in the game. So it's a whole new system. It's a whole new interesting part of gameplay to explore. And that was one thing that I was really disappointed that didn't get talked about because that's a really big system that is really powerful and very flexible for users. And now we've got all new abilities in both the rep and the lockbox to experiment with. Um, I saw a post today, actually Jeremy Randall saw a post today, uh, that the kit frame that you can get from the lockbox has a, have a new like psionic proc on them. And he says, with that kit alone, if you can get one of those kit frames from that lockbox, it's increased his ground DPS by almost 20%. I think that might be a little hyperbole. It might be, I'm not sure where he got his math from, but it is a psionic proc, and so shields don't affect it. And so that's kind of the point of the lockbox is kind of using technology from the Undine, so it adds a psionic proc to your attacks. So there's a lot of really new and unique things that we hadn't done before in both the rep and the lockbox that I thought really needed to be explored. I wanted to jump in uh, because I thought it was interesting what we were talking about with the bonuses against the Undine on the rep system. I was a little bit curious, I don't know exactly how you guys do it, but I know generally when you're creating items, you have sort of like a, a budget for all the stats on them. It's a fair way of putting it, yeah. And I was curious how it was affected when you do some of the race-specific or type-specific boosts like the like the Voth or like the Undine? Um, as we're building them, we honestly don't consider them into the budget. So let's say that, I mean, it's not an exact science, right? Sometimes it's really easy to say this much damage is equal to this, this much accuracy, right? Or this much crit. You can kind of do the math fairly easily. After that, some things become a little more subjective. But generally, for instance, if you're going to let's just start with a basic item, like a purple item, a purple item is going to have three enhancements on it. So just the basic ones, it might have plus damage, plus crit, plus accuracy, for instance, right? Well, blue will have only two. A fleet one will have four, right? So sometimes we'll take one of those three for a purple item and make a new unique one. Or maybe we'll make that third one 
a hybrid. So you'll get a crit, you'll get an accuracy, and then you'll get a half damage, half knockback. So that's kind of a way that you know you might balance it that way. When you're making special gear that is part of a reputation, like a Mega Gear or the Voth Gear or the Undine Counter Command Gear, that not only do we generally put more into it, each one of those enhancements themselves are generally better. They also have a, a set bonus associated with them. And then we generally put the extra bonus to the Undine on it, right? Or bonus to the Borg or bonus to, or bonus to whoever. So that's not a guaranteed formula, but that's generally what you shoot for because just for the same reason that you assumed was if you don't do that, nobody wants it, right? I never want to see a piece of gear out there that's only good against something. It should always be good by itself and then offer something bonus because that's why you're progressing through the rep is to not just get good gear, but also because you already have good gear. So you want to move something that's going to be equivalent to the other gear you have, and then you worked hard at the rep to have bonuses against that particular enemy. So for instance, like the armor that's available in the Undine Reputation, which by the way, if you haven't seen it, is absolutely gorgeous, right? These are some screenshots of it in the uh, dev blog. Um, so it's absolutely gorgeous um, armor. There's one also in the lockbox, which is a little creepy looking. That one looks more like the Predator, I think. I like that. Yeah, it looks a little more like the Predator. Yeah, it looks like it's a little carapacy, while the one in the Reputation is very... It was meant to feel like a reflex suit, mm -hmm. right? So it's a little it's a little tighter, and it's, a, it's supposed to look very mobile. Very different than the Voth armor, right? The one in the Undine Counter Command is very mobile looking. But it's, if I'm trying to remember, and I'm actually just having to look some of this up because there's so much stuff, but the Counter Command Exo Armor. So it has excellent resistance to psionic, toxic, and energy damage, right? Most armor has excellent resistance to energy damage. We added toxic and psionic against it, right? In addition to that, you've got all the other bonuses that come with it where you get a bonus to physical strength. So if you're using melee weapons, that's really effective. And a bonus to your speed. It also, if I remember correctly, it does something like every time you dodge, so like you double tap and dodge. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember that from Tribble. Yes, right. If you, where's uh, where to do great physical damage when you're receiving large boost on uh, uh, boost to dodge. So if you double click and dodge, you get a speed boost and a and a, like another buff. I can't remember. When you do that roll maneuver. Yeah, you get the roll maneuver. So while while you do that, you get extra dodge and avoidance and extra run speed after doing the roll. So it's like a reflex, super reflexes armor. So. It's a really cool armor, right? And it has extra resistance to psionic and toxic, which, which you need to fight the Undine. And that's generally the theme that we went with. We didn't sacrifice anything to uh, give you that. Well, when I... So I'm looking online, too, so I'm, and I think this is really why the term hyper-focus is being thrown around. Or why I'm throwing it around. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, if I compare... Yes, don't, go all Fox, don't go all Fox News <laughs> on me, okay? <laughs> Everybody's saying it! <laughs> Create your own news. <laughs> it, is, it is me. All right. So, so why I'm saying it's hyper-focus is, like, for instance, up until... I want to say maybe the the Dyson and the Counter Command. You know, people would argue that Mako Mako armor is the way to go, right? With plus eighty seven to physical, plus eighty seven to kinetic, plus sixty four uh, energy damage resistance, right? So when I compare this, and I I like to I try really hard. I don't actually try really hard. I'm a noob when it comes to mid maxing, right? So I'm looking at, for instance, the Exo armor, and I'm looking that in comparison to let's say the Mako. It's got plus 87 physical damage resistance where the where the counter command has only plus 46 physical damage resistance. So I'm thinking, all right, as I'm yes, the I'm, counter command has less physical damage resistance. Yes. And, and and the kinetic and I think uh, energy no. physical and kinetic which is basically blades or you know anything that would punch you 
So here and now as I'm I'm saying this in my head, I'm starting to disprove my own point yet again. Uh, as we did last week when Cookie pointed out the whole Tholian and all the other enemy ships. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, we to, get that. to that. We'll that get one. to that in a second. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I look at a glance, right? I look at the Mako and I think, yeah, but the Mako just seems overall a better suit, a better exo armor. Because the counter command, yeah, that's great against the Undine. But if I'm on the ground maybe fighting the Voth, I may sacrifice a bit by wearing the exo armor. Now... For instance, in the feedback you mentioned that we have, for instance, in space at least, the loadout. I don't know that this would be much of a problem if, for instance, the loadout, the swapping of the loadout, that awesome mechanic, would also translate to ground. So my question ultimately is, are you guys working on allowing the loadout system to get on the ground so that this wouldn't be much well, of that, a problem? Yeah, that's certainly always been the plan. So I couldn't tell you when that's happening because it's, it's out of design's hand at this point and that's entirely up to the engineering schedule. But it's absolutely we'll be supporting un, uh, loadouts for ground. Whether you also be able to affect the loadouts of bridge officers, it's a little more complicated technically, but being able to support it for your captain is fairly straightforward. As far as whether or not you know, the Undine Counter Command armor or the Voth armor or the Mako armor, which one is better? There are certainly, you can make arguments for one or the other. And then some of it's subjective. Some of it is also, well, how do the set bonuses, you know, come into play? Sometimes one armor is clearly better than the other until you get the set. And then it's like, well, now this set is clearly better than this. But you can't just say one is better than the other because this has a 40 stat in kinetic and this one has a 60 stat in kinetic, so clearly this armor is better. It obviously has to take the whole thing in whole in consideration, uh, you know, things like, you know, the fact that you get uh, the extra dodge bonus associated with it and the extra movement bonus associated with it um, and the extra melee damage associated with it. That could be really good armor against Borg, right? Because a lot of people like to fight the Borg with melee weapons. Well, this gives you a bonus to melee damage and gives you a bonus to dodge, so that way you can get away from them quickly. Come, roll in, hit them, roll out. So it's really a big challenge to always make something new that is equally interesting. As we make more gear going forward, we tend to try to be a little more cute and clever, like the Voth armor, if you've had that one, that's one of my favorites, because you kneel and you get a little cover shield in front of you. Oh, I love that right? ability. Anytime you kneel and you stand up and then it kind of shatters away. So we try to get a little clever with those things as opposed to just buffing stats because after a while, it's like, well, the only way to beat the Omega one is just to make the stat better. And we don't want to just keep making it better. We want to add more utility and try to be a little, little smarter about the design. My point is, is not whether or not this armor is better than this armor or the cost to get the armor is even better, you know, because it might be arguably easier to finish the Undine rep than it would be the Omega rep, even though the Omega rep is old. A lot of people have you know gone through that but whether or not this gear was only good against the undine or hyper focus against the undine and worthless against anything else because uh, that that was really more the argument if we can put that argument aside then i think it's easier to kind of take a more objective view at whether or not let's see how does it stack up in any normal situation against each other and then that would be a fair argument to say okay maybe omega is better in these reasons, but the counter command is better if you're doing this kind of thing. And I think we've definitely seen, especially when we talked about the reputation, I believe in our previous episode, there's definitely items in here, don't get us wrong, that we're already interested in. I mean, like the tier two space trait for tactical precision, giving the stacking accuracy bonus, very cool ability. Um, mm -hmm. I think- uh, There's also activatable traits in there in, yes. in the uh, 
that is not really a common thing to be able to get. There's feedback. There's like activatable feedback traits. I can't remember if that's in the lockbox or in the rep at this point because since we built them at the same time, I get them a little confused in my head. Um, I mean, certainly the reputation traits have things that feel very much against the Voth, like psionic resistance, right? I mean, the Undine are not the only ones who have psionic, but psionic is a rare damage. I think the uh, Davidians have psionic, I think. Yeah, some of the uh, Raymans. And the, and the Raymond attacks have psionic, right? And certainly if you're playing PvP and go up against a Lethian, they have psionic damage, right? So that is certainly, uh, you know, undoubtedly focused against psionic attacks, which is good against Undine, but traits are really easy to swap out now. But there's also a lot of anti-proton resistance, which, yeah, that's really good against the Undine, but you know what? That's really good against the Voth. And that's really against uh, a handful of others that I can't recall off the top of my hand that also use undine damage. And it's huge in PvP. Well, it's definitely it's really huge in PvP since anti-proton is almost a, yeah. De- yeah, the de facto. It's very popular <laughs> because of the crit, right? Yeah. So it's designed to counter the undine, but it's certainly perfectly useful against anything else using anti- anti-proton. So that's what we're trying to build. And I'll never come out and say, you know what, everything we make is perfectly balanced and a perfectly good choice every time. There are things certainly in this rep that probably are, do not overperform or equally perform as well as stuff in other reps. But there are certainly things in here that are better than other reps, and there are certainly things in here that are worse than other reps, and there are certainly things in here that are probably somewhere in the middle. I don't want to keep repeating myself, but my point was just trying to make sure that I didn't want people to feel discouraged or turned off by it because they thought it was, no, this is just for against the Undine. Because it's clearly... Uh, No, I was going to say, actually, you guys, uh, as far as ships go, you guys have been doing a really good job at balance, because I think it's the last three or four lockboxes I'd take the ship out and try to, you know, try to stack up against Tony and his uh, Odyssey of Doom, and uh, each ship has held its own, you know, it doesn't matter how elite of gear I put on it, uh, it's, it's been very well balanced, so... You guys have been good at keeping an eye on that. It's a big challenge, and I used to do uh, all the ships in the past, and now I've basically passed that mantle to Jeremy Randall and, and Phil Gorn Gonzola Zaleski to handle the ships, and they've done a great job carrying that. It's really easy to make the ships better, <laughs> right? It's really easy to just say this one's just better, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we cross that line, and it's just a little bit better, and we don't like to do it that way. The goal is to always try to make it different and interesting and balanced, and we do the best we can. Balance for its, you know, for its for its field because you know ships are you know lockbox ships are generally supposed to be arguably the you know the best ships in the game because they have the stats of a fleet ship plus they also generally come with a cool console and sometimes uh, often set bonuses while from sea store ship you only get the console and then the, and then you get the better stats from the fleet unless you're getting a bundle ship like the scimitar in which case it's very similar to a lockbox ship. So whether or not you like the idea of flying an Undine ship, which I'd be happy to discuss, I think that what also kind of made me sad was that because there's maybe some bad taste about flying that ship, that what the ship did and what the ship could offer players who didn't necessarily mind that was really overlooked uh, in the discussion. Because the boy, those ships, just those two Undine ships, and technically there are three models, because if you get the Undine Nikor... Uh, ship in the lockbox, you also you get access to two costumes. You get access to the standard Nikor, and you get access to the Planet Killer costume if you go to the tailor, the one that's the one in the center. I didn't know this. I'm going to the tailor right now. Yeah, so you can change to the to the Planet Killer model, 
Um, you got one of the ships? Uh, yeah, on, uh, last Tuesday. Skiffy really likes his outfit. <laughs> he got it on day one. I know, but they're really hard to get. Honestly, it's like it's so unfair. <laughs> <laughs> um, every time, every time I talk to you guys, you guys have the ships, and it's like, hey, it's I've, like, uh, I've never pulled one from a lockbox. I did get one from one of the rep packs. That's how I got my bug ship, but yeah. I've never pulled one from a lockbox. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. yeah, I'm a fan. So you can change your co- so so. There's actually three costumes in available, and then of course you get this planet killer, right? The fluidic energy focusing array. Real, if anyone hasn't seen it, I mean, you can when you fight the Undine, you see them do it every so often. One of those ships will show up, and nine other little Nikors will fly into formation around it and charge up the middle bio ship and shoot a giant planet killer blast, which will, you know, kind of do this really awesome kind of explosion that will. That will chain react with anything nearby. Yeah, Summer Wolf, a uh, user in the chat, is saying that uh, with the best gear they could get, they were still getting one-shotted by that uh, energy beam. It's pretty powerful, but it also has a charge-up time, so you can react to it, right? It has a pretty decent charge-up time, but when the power has a charge-up time, it's kind of like the scimitar. You can get out of the way. You see it happening, get out of the way as fast as you can or put up any defense, especially if you have like a blade of armor or phase shifting or something. So you can defend against that. It's pretty hard. It's pretty nasty. The damage is pretty nasty, certainly. But it's an amazing attack. And then, of course, if you, if you get the bio cruiser, you get access to those fluidic conduits that everybody really despises fighting against because you don't want to run into the mucus uh, portals. And then the, I forgot what the set bonuses is if you get both of them. I can't recall. So there's some, you know, the ships themselves are quite amazing. Whether or not you like the idea of playing an Undine ship, I can't argue personal taste. But, uh, but <laughs> okay, but. hold on, hold on, hold on here a second. All right, now I'm going to defend myself because I called it a handsome ship. Mm-hmm. And who uses the word handsome, really? <laughs> Apparently, you do. <laughs> I, I called it a. Ha- we acknowledge that these ships were that they're spec'd out great they are comparable to that of a mobius destroyer or even a Jem'Hadar attack ship they're solid ships and we did say that we did say that we just didn't well i just spend- want i wanted what, what i would have liked to have seen is is more of a focus on what and i'm not trying to direct your show you guys do a great job you guys do you always don't need my help at all but but i was sad to see more of the distaste for it the focus being on whether or not federation should be flying this and not liking that as opposed to never even mentioning what, besides the stats, but for instance, what the ship could do, like the space mucus and the and, and the planet killer, and those sort of aspects, and how somebody might want to use it, uh, how it might compare to a Jem'Hadar bug ship or a Chilgret or whatever it is that somebody else might be flying. To comment on Elijah saying that it's a handsome ship, I mean, is that the same as saying, oh yeah, she's a handsome lady? Oh. Yeah, that's always a little backhanded sometimes, right? It's kind of, it's a little. <laughs> All right, because you know what? It's, it's it's like I thought it was a sexy ship, right? Now I'm gonna have to take another look at I'd it. It reminds it. me a lot of uh, the Borlon ships from B5. <laughs> All right, well, I just put the Planet Killer costume on, and that is awesome. Kill- yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised I, it's not covered in the blog. I never had a problem with it, but I didn't feel very strongly about it. That's probably why I didn't say anything because I just it doesn't. I don't care about. If I have to fly a Federation ship, I don't. I do not care if it's Federation. Do you even have any Federation ships? No, I dr- <laughs> I fly a Jem'Hadar, so it didn't even phase me. I just it just wasn't important to me that it was Undine. But I mean, if it, if there was Borg, I would fly that. I would have no problem. Uh, all right. There are certainly some people who who will always feel distaste flying an on Federation ship in a Star Trek game, and there are some people who will never care, and there are some people in all kinds of spectrums in the middle. 
the reasons that we do this are multiple, right? I mean, you touched on some of them. They're interesting and they're sexy and they are handsome and they sell lockboxes, right? People want them and people will strive for them. The other reason we do them is because if I put a Federation ship in there, then I'm going to have to make a Romulan ship and I'm going to have to make a Klingon ship. So we have to make three times as many ships. So putting a faction neutral ship in there allows us to, well, not have to make three times to work. Uh, the other reason we do it is because it's the best way to get something like this into people's hands because if we just put it in the store, it's not that rare. And frankly, even though on you know on opening weekend you see a lot of uh, messages about who won the ship, in general, the number of ships in people's hands is generally far lower than what someone would buy from a sea store ship. So, you know, at first you see a lot of people with them because they're excited and they're showing off, but they get diluted over time. And the other thing is that you know what we've got this really awesome ship art out there that we make for the critters and people are interested in seeing them and playing them and checking them out and so there's no reason why we shouldn't necessarily put it in people's hands as far as the fiction because you know i mean when lockboxes first came out i named a dozen different or maybe not a dozen but there's a good handful of times when all the captains in uh, in star trek flew an enemy ship for two episodes or or so uh you know, Cisco flew a Jem'Hadar ship, and Captain Kirk flew a Bird of Prey, and Gold Dukat flew a freighter in a Klingon ship, and there's lots of times when this happens in the IP, and and then finally, it's a freaking game, <laughs> and people, and, and and it would be just kind of fun to do it, and and if you don't like to, you don't have to. That's, exactly. That's it. You don't like it, you don't have to. Don't buy it, or or if you get it, sell it. All right, hold on it's a not, second. Not forcing hold you on. to buy it. All right. So our main point. Was that because you're right, right? You mentioned uh, Cisco flying the Jem'Hadar ship. There is precedent in the IP to specify that, right? And even in our own argument, Cookie pointed out to me, and I caught myself saying, "All right, well, uh, you're right that we're null and void here. This argument is pointless." But, yeah, I mean, we've had Tholian right. ships, Alachi ships, Jem'Hadar, Herogen, Voth. I mean, I found it weird that this uh, Undine kind of stuck. I know I don't remember hearing anything about the Thol and the Alachi ships being so icky, right? All right, so but go on. I guess the main point was, and this was a hot topic also on the forums, a lot of people had a big issue with the, the, you know, flying a bio ship, and I think what happened was is that we lacked a little bit of that extra lore that we get from that lockbox ship, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the community, we, I nitpicked a little bit, and, and, and I think that also had to do with the fact that in Season 9, we even, we, we had featured videos, like a previously on Star Trek Online video, and... We had the lore video about bringing us up to speed on the Undine. I mean, not video, the lore dev blog right. about bringing us up to date on the Undine. That, okay, yeah, it could have been one sentence. It could have been a whole blog about how the, the Federation got a hold of it. And even in our own discussion, Jace had caught that in the anniversary mission... Uh, we're fighting against captured... We're testing the biomolecular warheads, right? Which we couldn't... We just didn't... We didn't tie together, right? And when we started that argument, we just didn't connect the dots. It was far more... Um, it was far more uh, implicit than explicit okay, this time. right. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, you know, because the lockboxes have the tendency of being a very... Occasionally being a sensitive topic for some players... I guess, yeah, you know, it would have been nice to have seen a little bit of lore added to the Undine, particularly that they're a bio race. We just started really fighting them in this season nine update, right? They become the focus of attention. Like, for instance, uh, Boreal, he, you know, he talks about, in a comment on PrairieOnePodcast.com, he talks about perhaps the boxes could have been perceived as that faction of the Undine that supported, that wanted to support Janeway, and they gave the ships, you know, or something like that. So... In the past, for instance, I'll use the Alachi lockbox as an example. When we first released a Legacy of Romulus, we did not release an Alachi lockbox. 
uh, partly because we didn't want to spoil the Alachi, and people didn't know what the Alachi were, and so we wanted to give players the opportunity to play against the Alachi, to, to see the ships, to kind of, you know, enjoy them and say, wow, that's a really cool ship, and then we made an Alachi lockbox afterwards. We didn't do that with the Undine uh, ship. We released it with Season 9, partly because, well, frankly, you've been play fighting against Undine since, since day one. It's like the third episode or the second episode in the game. So although the focus of the game right now for the season is the Undine, they're not a new enemy. We've remastered them and made them better, uh, and now we've focused the content on it. But it's no surprise. It's like not like people haven't seen it before. Um, plus, you know, no one even knew what an Alachi was before outside of that one episode of Enterprise and they weren't really fully explored and well Undine obviously had been on three episodes of Voyager or something. So the re that's why the reason we released at the same time as opposed to say you know an Undine lockbox in you know three or four months from now. As far as the fiction I'll certainly admit that we've been a far more implicit with the fiction of the lockboxes than we were the first time we released them like say with the Gem Hadar and we kind of spun a little story ahead of time about it right. And so we've been uh, a little quiet about it, and maybe you could say even being a little lazy about it, assuming that, yeah, I mean, this is who you're fighting, and so this is captured gear, captured ship, captured items and tech that's in the lockbox, and that's just where it's coming from. I did generally think that the lack of lore, which could be solved in a couple sentences, that because that wasn't there, I didn't think that that was fair to simply dismiss the whole ship because we didn't have a few sentences of lore on the box on the blog. Because I'm like, really, would that really have made all the difference in wanting to fly one? And it's like, maybe it is for some. I wouldn't have thought that it would. It felt a little nitpicky to me. But if that was what it'll take, then I'll certainly do it. And this is my fiction for it. And so this is now STO canon. When you go into politic space in the PVE queue, and you're going up against the coral reefs, and there's all the Undine ship uh, larvae are hatching, and you'll see them attached to the sides of the reef. Um, and they're actually animated and you collect the larvae from going into there and then grow the ships back at home and that's how they're available in the in the first contact day so we've been collecting them and I'm even going to look into whether or not we can see if we can add an optional objective into the mission where you can just kind of click and says go ahead and collect some Undine ship larvae and for an optional objective reward. So we kidnap the babies. Well, they're not, they're not, they're not sentient. They're not, I mean, how they're bio ships. Yes, you'll, as you'll be kidnapping the babies, yeah. But the ships are, bio ships are grown, but they're no more alive, as far as I know, than say, when you grow an ear in a laboratory, you know, Petri dish, right? They're, they're, or, I or, hear or. that's an amazing feat. Uh -huh. We're going to get a whole nother set <laughs> of feedback. So Elijah, is this making it less creepy to you comparing it to a cloned it ear? Is. It is. It is. I'm like Bill Adama. I'm telling ears. you, I'm like Bill Adama. I don't want any of this, this, this Cylon. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, it's Cylon. Sure. Hey, Kara Thrace took over one of those ships. Yes, Kara Thrace did throw. She did. She mm -hmm. flew one around uh, just fine. It's she doable. did pretty well. Is this more of that Battlestar stuff? Totally but she. <laughs> but if you, yeah, hey, Battlestar is great. Don't you even don't even start dissing Battlestar. I pointed um, that out last week, but they cut it. No, out. I know, I know. So just saying. Oh well, don't don't cut it out this time. It, it is Kara Thrace did fly one. The bio ships are are not even anything like a Cylon Raider, right? I mean, if you go to the show, they went inside one. It has an interior. 
it has computer monitors and pads. It's not like it's guts and goo and, 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 and blood and vessels. It's bio-organic in nature, but it still has a control. It still has a touch panels. As a matter of fact, if you look at the show, when we were looking at the interior to build the bridge for the ship, they've got like what looks like Sony monitors kind of bolted on the side of the wall, right? They barely even made an attempt to make it look like it was actually grown. There's, there is legitimate electronic equipment inside that ship um, that the Undine have put in there that just is right from Voyager. We did a better job at trying to integrate it a little bit more. So it's not like the thing is uh, like you're walking inside a whale or something. It's still a ship. It's just bioengineered and grown instead of being made of metal. Um, so it's not Tin Man. It's not Tin Man. Certainly not Tin Man. Ooh, we um, should get one of those ships. Uh, Tin Man's been on my shortlist for a long time, <laughs> so I've wanted to get I want to get that in the game. So with um, the backstory of Tin Man, that would be great to bring back with the uh, the Iconian menace and all that. Very very cool. Yeah, it definitely could see even them somehow related to uh, somebody fighting the Undine or some relation. There could be there could be a lot of things we could do with Tin Man, uh, where it came from, the fact that that ship was, but that ship was alive. That ship was sentient, right? Yeah. That 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 was telepathic. Yeah, it was telepathic and very powerful. So the Undine ships are not like that. And nobody's ever said that they are alive, and I'll say that they're not alive until Canon says otherwise. They're just organic in nature. They're like Babylon Five ships, right? The Babylon Five ships were organic in nature, right? Uh, the Vorlon and uh, did the Minbari have biotech also? Yes, the Minbari. Yeah, yeah, the Minbari and the Vorlon, and so did the Shadows for that matter. And then eventually, the ship that the Minbari gave to Babylon Five is also based on it. But it's just you know carbon based instead of metal based. But you know Voyager is too, right? Voyager's biogel packs starting to use that, so it's like kind of an advancement of just general technology, and we're seeing that in real technology here too. Uh, in real world. So I'll still always understand and honor the idea that, you know, I'm in Federation, I just want to fly a Federation ship and I get it. What I have a harder time understanding is I'll be okay flying the ship if you had three lines of fiction or the Undine somehow crosses the line. I don't I don't well, understand that necessarily more than say Tholian or It's not Alachi. so much the three lines of fiction. Or, or maybe those cross the line. You know, you guys are the only dynamic source of of prime uni- universe canon Star Trek. Like you're all we've got. So, sometimes we get impassioned about what is not in canon or how it's explained and by and large you guys do a fantastic job with it. I really enjoy uh, Kestrel's writing. I've looked at some of it in Star Trek magazine. So, it's not, oh, if this sentence was here, it's, you know, are we 100% sure that this makes sense with the canon? Because this is the only prime universe canon we have anymore. Everything else is JJ-verse. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, and, and I can understand that too. But like you said, we, you know, we do our best. And, and so I'll take some ownership on whether or not we weren't explicit enough in explaining where these ships came from. So I think that we will endeavor to do better. And I'll see if I can, you know, we can retcon some things into the story to... To, uh, to help some people feel better about it. But the general implied nature of all the lockboxes is that the lockbox is usually about who you're fighting or recently was fighting, and these are things that you can salvage. As a matter of fact, one of the consoles inside the lockboxes are always called a salvage console. So it's uh, salvaged gear from the war efforts. It's always been that way. With the exception, perhaps, of the temporal ship. Al, because it's a two-way street, I, as audio engineer, will do my best to keep Elijah from trolling you guys. Oh, oh God. here we go. <laughs> First of all, if anybody's, if That's anybody's going to be... That's <laughs> impossible. <laughs> Listen, it has to happen at least once a year that I... 
I get Al so viscerally angry that he has that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We know it's summertime again. We could set our clocks by it. I want to be clear. You know, you did not anger me. You guys do us right. And the work that you do is, you know, clear that you guys have passion for the game and for Star Trek. And I'm not in any way angry. You've never angered me. So I just thought that it felt a little misrepresented, uh, misunderstood, and wasn't entirely balanced uh, of a discussion. And I wanted to make sure that everybody had all the information so that way everybody, all the users, can make their own judgment. I just thought that, wow, it's like the focus was so much on Undine ship being not making sense. There wasn't enough fiction, and the whole thing is hyper-focused. And the whole feature, the rep and the lockbox felt like it really got dismissed as not something having any value. And so I wanted to make sure that people understood the value that was in there and certainly they can make a decision of whether or not that's something they want. For and, and like I said, you know, you're, you're 100% right. I, I, and I apologize for erroneously saying that the lockbox was uh, hyper-focused. You know, I try to look at uh, Star Trek Online in the, what I like to use the term, middle-class player, right? Where I, I'm not necessarily a noob, right? But I, I don't consider myself a professor, right? I may not know the intricacies of the stats and know the math, right? Like Jeremy was on Stoked. I don't, and I'm cool with that. And I'm cool with that because I think that that is a good core of a lot of MMO players. They go in, especially free-to-play players, right? They catch something, and they want to be involved, not necessarily because they're Star Trek fans only, but because they like to game hop, right? So in trying to understand, for instance, the, the Undine lockbox and comparing it to things I'm, I've already grown familiar with, I think to myself... Well, why would I want to switch to psionic when the, the majority of my enemies don't have a psionic attack, right? But then you come on the show, right? You come on the show and you talk, all right, well, it's not just about the psionic, but it's about, for instance, the dodge bonus. Think about how that can affect as the Borg. And that, that kind of analysis is going to come with my experience in learning it and, and really, and other players' experience in learning it and, and getting their hands on it. Uh, and reading more about it. And then when it gets on Stowiki and Stowiki posts, you know, the stats and somebody else posts a guide. Um, these are things that really help a player like me, that middle class player that doesn't, you know, spend eight hours a day playing, but also doesn't only spend one hour a day playing. You know, it's that middle line. So I thoroughly enjoy and I'm, I'm so grateful that you're willing to come on the show and work these things out and, and explain it to us because I know I'm not the only one, right? I'm not the only one that will look at it in that type of light. And it helps, right? Because now I think to myself, well, I want that dodge bonus when I, you know, I'm fighting the board. Well, certainly, you know, STO, like most MMOs, has a degree of complexity. And there's just looking at any one tooltip for any item, you can see that there's a lot to absorb in there. So it's important, I think, not only as a, you know, in reporting something, but simply as a player to really take in everything that something has to offer. Like if I'm reading the description of the armor, I mean, the first thing that it says is incredibly lightweight body armor grants where excellent resistance is psionic. And then I check out. All right. Wow, this is psionic armor. I don't need that. But that wasn't the point. Maybe we should have reversed the lines. Incredible resistance. Because right now it says psionic, toxic, and energy damage. We should have said energy, psionic, and toxic damage. Because it still has incredible resistance to energy damage. The psionic is just a bonus. For instance, if you look at the shield that comes on the ground, uh, in addition to it being a pretty, you know, darn good standard shield, when struck with energy or psionic attacks, the shield will release a PBU pulse of energy damage that does a feedback pulse back to, to everybody, but in a PBAOE around you. So it's a feedback pulse shield, PBAOE feedback pulse shield. Um, it just will trigger off of psionic or off of energy. 
So that's 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 a I want that shield. Right. Yeah. No. Now you know, <laughs> that's a good shield. Yeah. 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 No. Absolutely, right? absolutely. So I don't expect everybody, even including you, to look at the short description that's on the dev blog or even the tooltips and be able to decide whether or not this is better than this. But I would hope that everybody kind of really absorbs everything it does and think about that, what kind of gameplay it would offer you before dismissing it, you know, halfway through the description. What we are trying to do with our gear, because it is harder and harder to say, okay, we'll have plus three to this stat and minus two or three to this stat, because there's only so many times we can keep pushing those numbers around, that instead we're trying to add more utility to things like that feedback pulse or the shield that pops up when you kneel or the dodge bonus when you dodge. Uh, so we're trying to add uh, more interesting and different gameplay aspects, which may not be everybody's cup of tea. Someone may just want extra stats, and in that case, you know what? Some armors may be better for them, but we're trying to offer different gameplay here, um, and that's what I think these sets are, the gear in both the rep and in the lockbox are all about. And so it seemed like that got unnoticed, and I wanted to make sure it got noticed. Well, it's a, it's a challenge, and I give you guys a lot of props for it, because you're trying to make sure that people have tough decisions, right? There shouldn't just be an obvious best in slot for every type of item. People need to be able to make that, weigh that out and and different people have different gear. You don't want everyone to be running the same cookie cutter builds because that's just boring. Yeah, and check out the ground gear in both the lock bo- the, the ground guns in both the lockbox and in the reputation. For instance, the ground gun in the reputation in the set, the primary attack is an expose. I don't think any other gun in the game whose primary attack is an expose attack right so your primary fire will expose a target and its secondary fire is an exploit so that's the only gun in the game that will do that that's pretty awesome also the guns in the lockbox and in the rep system all have brand new rights of fire one of them is a chain lightning gun um, which was seen somewhat in you saw that in the proton gun in the uh, Davidian series but now you've got a whole suite of similarly chain lightning guns or um, there's also one of the gun is uh, maintain the longer you maintain it on the target, the more damage it does until it explodes. So you've got a whole bunch of new firing modes, so you don't just see the same split beam, rap, you know, a mini gun, a shotgun. There's some new things to try out. So there's a lot more interesting gameplay um, in here. That so. lobby store gun, <laughs> that secondary fire on the lobby store gun, the wrist phaser, whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, the is BFG. Amazing. That's so cool. It's, it's the BFG, right? Yeah, it's, that is it, so cool. The captains, the Undine captains have that, right? And the commanders. So we made a player version of it. It's totally it's totally amazing. Yeah, I've already gotten killed by yeah, it. Yeah, that's don't not to be trifled with. <laughs> so the only other thing that I wanted to address was one quick comment that you made and I talked about it. Was in, it me? In, God. Well, you you called the Undine you called the Undine evil. Okay, all right. And the Undine are not evil. And uh, hopefully everybody has had a chance to play the uh, the remastered Borg Undine arc, even if just knowing Voyager. You know, the Undine are, they're nasty, right? They're scary. They are relentless and they are vicious. Um, but they're really just extremely xenophobic. So they're really xenophobic, you know, and they want to live in their space. And what they are is they don't understand non-fluidic space entities, right? The Borg came in in Voyager and started basically picked a war with them. And so as far as they knew, when they came in Voyager, when they came into non-fluidic space, they came after the Borg and then Voyager was there and Voyager had a Borg on them and Voyager made an alliance with the Borg. It's like, you non-fluidics are all alike. You ally with the Borg. And Boothby says that. There's a Borg right there on your staff. And so they don't trust anybody here. And then if you play the 
the episodes, you kind of see how the Iconians are messing with the Undine and trying to use them as a tool to destabilize the Quadrant. And so, yeah, they're, the weak will perish. That's pretty nasty. But you know what? It's a war cry, right? It's a war. It's, it's, they're rattling their sabers. That's the, and, and that's why it was... And so when Janeway met Boothby, you're biting your tongue, I can tell. I am, I am, so, I am. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. We'll give you equal airtime, Elijah. Uh, don't worry. Fair and balanced. <laughs> um, that, you know, Boothby was like, okay, well, I kind of understand, and I'll see what I can do to talk. I have no promises, but you could reason with them. They weren't evil insofar that we just want to wipe everyone out. They were like evil if you would call them evil, just simply that they were xenophobic and they were fear-driven. They were afraid. And so they just want to... All they want to do is protect themselves. They're not out for conquest. They just... They're afraid. The Undine are afraid, and that's what, that's what drives them. Yeah. Anyway, I just don't think they're evil. I agree. Okay, the weak shall perish. You said that that's yeah. just a war cry. Hold on a second. I would because, call it a war cry. So, all right, so uh, are, saddle, are yeah. the Iconians evil, or are they just... they just Are they misguided? Oh, you haven't... You You're right. Know I don't yet. know the Iconians. All right, how about the Borg? Uh, the Borg are neither good nor evil. They are a force of nature. Okay, what about the Romulans before... Actually, Tal Shiar. Tal Shiar are pretty evil. <laughs> right. Elijah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you for a second. He's getting desperate. Do you, you realize that the bad guys are only bad guys from our perspective? Right. In their right. view. No, no, of course. Nobody right. ever thinks they're a bad guy. And the whole, the whole point of Star Trek is that most life in the universe is not evil, right? I mean, the Klingons were, they were the bad guys, but they weren't. They're just different, right? And, you know, if anything, all the races in the universe and Star Trek are kind of a mirror of some aspect of humanity. That's the whole point of the Roddenberry universe, right? They generally start off as some sort of one-dimensional reflection of something about humans, like the Ferengi are a one-dimensional representation of greed and corporate greed of humans, right? That's something that Star Trek is really good at, and so once in a while you get entities that, you know, the Borg are far more unredeemable, but it's because they're not really evil. They're just, they're a computer. They're a force of nature. They're unique. And so that one way that you can always just have this one enemy. And even then it was like, we don't really want to kill them because they're people. We could rescue them, but we have no choice. And so that's just the theme of Star Trek. Um, you know, as a game, we tend to kind of play with those morality a little bit more and just try to say, yeah, these are bad guys because we want to make it okay for you to shoot something, right? Because the game's more about shooting than it is about talking because it's a game and not a dialogue uh, TV show. But and, um, and isn't that in and of itself the real evil? It, that Yes, it could be. <laughs> I just want to maintain that I don't think that the Undine are particularly evil. They are certainly a threat that needs to be dealt with and you can't play games with, but, you know, they're a victim. And you see them being a victim in the in the remastered series. You see, I, of the, I we will agree to dis. I, you see, I think that the Voth, for instance, not evil. They're not evil. You see, the Undine are just kill everything, kill everything in a, in a quadrant we don't know anything about. So I, that's why I find it evil. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> I think that certainly they are. They're less than morally gray. Right, right. They are. They're um, less than morally gray. Right, right. Their motivations are not because we just want to kill everything because we are black and white evil. Their motivations are, it's like, we don't understand. You guys invaded our space, and you killed our people. And so their response is, what's the word when uh, it's, it's, not, it's not an eye for an eye? Their response is not... It's reactionary. Um, yeah, it's, there, there's a word for... Yeah, I'm trying to think of the word for it, it, where it's like equilateral kind of... Preemptive? Response. Not preemptive, but you have a, 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 a balanced response back to that, right? It's like, it's like 
a bully punches you and then you kill their right, family. Right. It's disproportionate. <laughs> right? in it's like some okay, level. that's never going to happen. Yeah, disproportionate. Yes, a disproportionate response. Um, that's kind of how they are because they don't want to take any chances. There's also this idea: fluidic space. That you know, it's full. It has pressure. It has currents. It's it's not like our universe. So it's like we are. We come from the void. You know, just imagine, like, we're like a horror yes. movie for them. Yes, it's completely alien. And I'd love to get one of your uh, scientist friends to tell me whether or not fluid space actually would have pressure or not. Because uh, a star has pressure because right, the right. gravity's pulling in. And because there's no gravity on the outside pulling it out, right? There's no other mass. And the bottom of the ocean has pressure because all that ocean is being pulled down towards the mass of the Earth. But in a universe where... The matter is distributed evenly. All matter is being pulled in all directions. There would be pressure if there was a giant landmass at the bottom of this fluidic space, and then there'd be pressure. But since there's not, presumably there's no bottom, the pressure would only be around the different landmasses. The closer you would get to like one of these coral reefs or any landmasses, then you would feel some pressure. But outside of it, there probably would be none. So that's how I think that would work. So it's probably more pressure inside a ship that has... 14 psi from the air atmosphere inside the ship pushing out than there is on the uh, fluid but i'd like to see what a physicist or a scientist would have to uh sounds like a job for dr hurt that it does sound like a job for dr hurt all right dr hurt we're gonna have to have you on and talk about fluidic space well al we appreciate you coming on and keeping us honest to be quite frank with you i mean you know we thoroughly appreciate the relationship that we have uh, with you that we can cover star trek online in a way that is great for the players and great for the development of the game uh it's great having you. No, it's my pleasure, and, and we'll keep each other honest. So I, I always thoroughly appreciate uh, everything you guys do for us for free. So I'm always happy to help any way that I can. Captains, you know we like keeping you informed on all the latest happenings in the world of Star Trek, including independent film projects, like our guests today. Some of the cast and crew from the latest independent film project endeavor titled Star Trek Equinox. So let's go round robin here and, and allow each of you to introduce yourselves to our listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's start with you, Jason. Yes, hello, sir. Uh, my name is Jason Genzer, and I am the production manager for Star Trek Equinox, The Night of Time. Uh, a little bit about myself. I've been a lifelong fan of Star Trek um, and have been involved in this project for about two months now, uh, hoping to move it forward, uh, hoping to see some success with our Kickstarter so that we can actually create an episode of Star Trek Equinox and show folks what it would be like with um, John Savage as the captain of the Equinox, uh, once again, but of a different time, uh, and uh, Gary Lockwood, um, not quite dead, as Gary Mitchell. Okay, and uh, Mr. Turner, would you introduce yourself, please? My name is Dave Turner. Uh, I play Transporter Chief John Hawkins in Star Trek Equinox. I, too, have been a lifelong Star Trek fan, um, preferably original series, so I'm very excited that the, uh, the film is going back to, you know, the roots. And, um, yeah, just looking forward to working with all these awesome people. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Mr. Burton. Yeah, hi, I'm Cameron Burton. I got involved with the Equinox Project back in November. I have been a Star Trek fan for uh, almost 22 years now, and a lifelong writer, and I wrote the script for this project. Mr. Moran. 
Thank you, thank you. This is uh, I'm Eric Smoke Moran. I'm a pro wrestler, producer, and I'm also one of the leading cosplayers on the East Coast. I have, was fortunate enough who I, I'm friends with uh, Eric Nipus, uh, who basically is one of the strong factors behind Star Trek Equinox, and approached me a while back, uh, a couple months back, um, about possibly playing um, uh, Klingon for Star Trek Equinox. Knowing that I'm a hardcore Star Trek fan, and knowing the fact that the ultimate fan moment is to be able to play, not only act in a Star Trek series or, or feature film, but to play a, the ultimate alien, which is a Klingon. For me to be able to do that, it's, it's, it's like a dream come true. And to be able to be a part of something big like this, where you have a strong cast, an amazing story, and most importantly, to be able to have the fans see true Star Trek storyline is, is a dream come true. And the most important thing is, is getting the fans and the people out there to support our Kickstarter program. Um, to me, once we achieve that goal, because we're daggone near close to achieving that goal, it's going to be a story like no other. You've seen a lot of Star Trek stories. You've seen a lot of Star Trek independent films and everything else. This topped the cake. After reading the script, I was totally blown away. I cannot wait for the fans and the public to see Star Trek Equinox. Well, let's talk a little bit about that story. Uh, Cameron, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what the fans can expect of the story you're trying to tell. The basic premise is that uh, Rudy Ransom did not die in the explosion of the Equinox seen on Star Trek Voyager. That he was in fact taken prisoner by aliens that his ship had previously really torqued off and been held prisoner for 15 years. So, yeah, it's been quite a while. And when he manages an escape attempt from them, ends up back in the 23rd century with Gary Mitchell. Okay. And there's a heck of a lot of action that follows in that. Some really good Star Trek. I mean, it, it's not all action, but it, well, there's a lot of action in it. It's good Star Trek. Um, but it, it's not, action is not the main focus of the story. Now, what type of hurdles are you facing uh, when writing a plot like this, if any? Well, for me, uh, any hurdles would be to make sure that there aren't any continuity errors with the previously released episodes of Star Trek. You know, I know it almost backwards and forwards and what areas I needed help with. Memory Alpha and a few friends were incredibly helpful. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the characters. Um, Smoke, you mentioned already that you're really excited to play a Klingon character. David, what excites you about the character that you'll be playing? I mean, like Eric said, just to be, you know, a part of this project uh, on its own is is a huge honor. Being one of the Equinox crew, uh, especially, you know, just being able to, uh, you know, live the Star Trek fantasy, you know. Um, like I said, I play the, the transporter chief, so I, I do have a, a role in there where, like, I, I don't want to give too much away, but... But uh, I have to assist uh, Captain Ransom, you know, once he once he comes back to the the 23rd century. So it's it's just it's really exciting, you know. There there's, you know, not many people you know are able to to be a part of something that they've loved for for such a long time, and it, I'm just uh, very grateful to have been included in this project. Smoke, let me go back to you a second. So you're playing a Klingon, yeah. all right? Now yeah. you, you you also mentioned that you're probably one of the most recognized cosplayers on the East Coast. So, what yeah. are you doing to prepare for the role of a warrior? Well, see, here's the thing: 
basically Worf is like one of my I'm like a big Worf fan. And like to me I always used to quote and say Michael Dorn slash Worf is like the hardest working man in Star Trek. Because you never know when Worf is going to pop in. He's going to pop on Star Trek. He's going to pop in Next Generation. He's going to pop in Deep Space Nine. He may even pop in on Enterprise. Hell, he even popped in on uh, Undiscovered Country. For me, um, to be able to 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 watch him and, and, and watch his, how, his mannerisms and everything, you know, um, as, as Avery Brooks said, as Captain Sisko, when he and the crew were dressed up as Klingons, trying to invade the Klingon homeworld to try to infiltrate to find out who was the, um, you know, who was the saboteur. Klingons talk with enthusiasm. When they talk, they express themselves as warriors, you know. And at the same token, one of the things Eric Nyquist had told me from the door, he was like, look, you got to learn Klingonese. You got to have to learn it. You're going to have to go out here. You're going to have to get a Klingon book. You're going to have to go learn Klingon for dummies or the whole nine. And my wife, for Christmas, got me the Klingon dictionary. So when I'm saying stuff like, da, tiki kwa, du kwa, kapla, and stuff like that, you know, and I'm like, tuli chika, kwa, dinada, you know, stuff like that, that's going to give the emphasis of what it means to be a Klingon. And if I have to talk with enthusiasm to humans, especially humans from the Federation, I'll be able to do that and show my acting chops even though I've done a lot of other feature films, um, me being a pro wrestler for close to 20 years, all that basically, all that from my training as a wrestler, um, shooting promos and everything, this gives me the opportunity to show my acting chops in a whole different light, you know, wearing from the makeup and everything. It, it basically is going to show the fans what it means to really truly be a Klingon and to show what it's like to be a Klingon on a Star Trek feature film. So to me, it's going to be an, an amazing ride from putting on the makeup in the chair, sitting there for an hour, two hours, because I know all that hard work, all that studying Klingonese is going to pay off. It doesn't matter if I'm a classic Klingon. It doesn't matter if I'm a next generation Klingon. It doesn't really matter if it's a new type of Klingon or an Abrams Klingon. All I care about is giving a great performance to the fans and showing the fans what it means to be a true Klingon in a Star Trek feature, like Star Trek Equinox. Awesome, man. Your enthusiasm is amazing. So who better to play a Klingon with that type of enthusiasm, really? So congrats. Of course you Of course you Kapla. So let me ask you this. Uh, regarding the Kickstarter project, right? You have one going on right now. Talk to us about what the Kickstarter is funding. Where is that money that people are contributing going to? Um, the purpose of this Kickstarter is to raise the funds that we'll need for us to shoot a short trailer at the end of May. Uh, we're going to have, have two days shooting on site at, uh, there's another series that's called Farragut Films, and they have a web series based on the Starship Farragut. And we've made arrangements with them to use their sets and their locations for two days at the end of May, uh, where we're going to shoot the trailer, what we call an extended trailer or first look trailer of Star Trek Equinox The Night of Time. And from that, we'll then do another crowdsourcing, crowdfunding uh, effort to raise the funds to shoot the entire episode. Long term, our plans are that CBS Studios is familiar with the script and is very interested in seeing what we can produce. So ultimately, we're going to film either 75 or 90 minute long actual adventure. But we're also going to cut a version of that to be 43 to 48 minutes 
uh, as a potential pilot for CBS Studios, which is really the most very exciting piece of this. So just to clarify, you have been talking with CBS or it's a proposal that you want to present? Uh, we have been in communication with CBS Studios. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. That's exciting. That's very exciting. So congratulations on that. Yes, absolutely. That's one of the most exciting pieces about this is that they've seen the script. They're very interested in seeing what can you do with this? Where can you take these characters that were thought lost to the history of Star Trek, you know, decades ago? Um, and that, you know, we're able to get John Savage reprising his role, Gary Lockwood reprising his role, coming, really coming out of retirement as an actor to play a character, Gary Mitchell, that he hasn't played, hasn't really been in Star Trek in 50 years, literally, almost. So they're very interested in seeing what we can do with it. And, and so are the fans. We've got a lot of just terrific, you know, thousands and thousands of uh, likes on Facebook and just a lot of positive feedback from the fan community. Folks are very excited. They really want to see uh, what we can produce. And we're very excited. We're definitely looking forward to uh, really delivering on the vision that Cameron has created. It's a terrific script. And every time I think about it, and I realize we got John Savage to play Captain Rudy Ransom again. We got Gary Lockwood coming out of retirement. It's I, I just it just it's just mind boggling every time I think about it. So let me ask you this, and, and this is to everybody: What do you believe? Because you know you're trying to keep the plot you know close to your chest here. So let me ask you this: What do you believe separates you from other independent film projects? That is a very good question, and I I would like to say that it's going to be our production values, but we're using the sets of another. Uh, established production group that produces Star Trek uh, fan videos, like I think one or two, once or twice a year, Firegate Films puts out another uh, of their series of uh, Star Trek stories. So we already know, and everyone you know, knows that the quality of the set is certainly there. But it's just, I, I think these characters, these actors, this ensemble group, the rest of the cast, including uh, Smoke Moran, Dave Turner, Ivy, his wife, is, is certainly a lovely, uh, lovely young lady. And the rest of the cast, we've got Samantha Lockwood, who is Gary Lockwood's daughter. Uh, we have a gentleman named Alejandro Corzo, who uh, is an international male model. And he's a, a jet setter. He kind of, he, uh, he's very reminiscent of uh, the fellow from Starship Troopers. Oh, Casper Van Dien? Yes, exactly. He looks like a younger Casper Van Dien. Uh, we also have from the WWE slash WWF, Matt Stryker, who's going to be playing a Romulan commander. Uh, yet another uh, you know, unique element that we're adding into our, our plot. And the idea that after being rescued, like how does Rudy Ransom wind up working with alongside Gary Mitchell? So there's a, certainly a time travel element to this story that uh, it's been my experience that fans love the Mirror Mirror episode and they love any Star Trek that has to do with time travel because it really challenges you. It really makes you think about how do these characters get from here to there? What are the ramifications of, you know, like if they should disrupt the time stream, what, what else could happen? Uh, what directions can this go? And uh, Cameron's created just a really terrific script that addresses a lot of those questions. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you about the production timetable here. So when this podcast is published on May 5th, uh, mm-hmm. our audience will have a few days until Friday to donate to the Kickstarter project because it ends on Friday, May 9th. So after the goal is met, how soon before we can start seeing some of the uh, development of Equinox? Um, the uh, filming of the, uh, the trailer is scheduled for, currently scheduled for May 28 and May 29. So that's the, essentially the end of this month. Um, that would be when the trailer itself is filmed. And beyond that, uh, based on how successful that is and how, how well things go, uh, initially, and let me just take a look at the calendar, 
most likely at, at, at this juncture, we're hoping to shoot the actual full production uh, the third to fourth week of June. But that would presume that we're going to have another Kickstarter in progress. And so there's a couple of elements that are kind of fluid that haven't been locked down yet. But hopefully the trailer would be available the first week to second week of June, I'm thinking. Oh, wow. All right. So that's that's very quick. That's uh, that's exciting. Very, very good turnaround time. Yes, yes. So this is the, the moment of the interview where I'd like to, you know, throw the mic to you guys. And, and if there's anything that you want to get across to our listeners and our audience, by all means, please share it with us all. Well, I would just like to ask uh, every person who hears this podcast to visit our Kickstarter page, check out our perks, find something of interest that they can back this project and make a pledge and understand that we are pledging to them that we're going to deliver a first-rate, top-notch, amazing episode of Star Trek. And they're going to be part of making Star Trek history by, by getting Gary Lockwood back in a uniform, by getting uh, John Savage to take the helm of a starship yet again. Uh, and it's going to be very exciting. And whomever participates, whomever gets involved in this project, is going to literally be part, we feel, of making Star Trek history. Cameron? Well, one of the things that excites me about this particular project is, yeah, everyone involved has some degree of professionalism to them, and that's great. But one thing that Trekkers have always fantasized about is being a part of making Star Trek. And I think that's what we're really offering people with the Kickstarter program is the opportunity to help make a new Star Trek. I and mean, it's been 10 years almost since Enterprise went off the air. We need what I, what I refer to as thinking man science fiction. And whenever I think about that, what is it that fills that blank? But it's, of course, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I was very careful with this script. I wanted to make sure I didn't have any continuity errors. It's a great ride. People would want to see it. It's worth it. Uh, uh, Dave, any uh, closing comments? Uh, yeah, I just, I honestly can't wait for people to see this. I mean, even the trailer, you guys are going to be blown away by this story. I mean, there's so many, you know, just in reading it myself, it's, you know, okay, awesome. Gary Mitchell's back in Star Trek. That that in itself is a revelation. Everyone thought he was dead. Um, you know, if he is alive, what about his condition? You know, how, 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 are, how is that going to be dealt with? And I think everyone's really going to like uh, how that issue gets dealt with. There's just so many awesome things about this script. The, the continuity is there. The story is amazing. It, it's just any fan, especially of the original series, is going to absolutely love this. So definitely check out the Kickstarter. You know, help get it backed. Once you guys see the trailer... All that's going to do is make you want more. So definitely go and check it out. And uh, like I said, I'm thankful to every one of these guys for letting me be a part of this project. And uh, we definitely are all fans of Star Trek. So you know you're going to be getting something that the fans will like because we know what you like because we're fans as well. So you guys have a lot to look forward to. Go check out the Kickstarter and uh, uh, just to continue to do so. You know, If you haven't seen it yet, go over to the site, check it out. There's going to be a, a lot of cool perks there. There's going to be more added. I know uh, Ivy's going to be working on getting a, another perk up there for, for all of her fans. So uh, definitely go check it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Smoke, any uh, closing parting parting thoughts? Well, you know, guys, I'm going to have parting words on this. Look, everybody, you're listening to this podcast. Right now, what you need to do, get to the Kickstarter project. Get to our Kickstarter site. Go to our Star Trek Equinox page. 
check out everything that we got coming up. We got perks. We got stars. We got an amazing story. Hey, it's Star Trek. What more could you want? You got Klingons. You got transporter chiefs. You got captains meeting for the first time. You got classic Trek. You got new Trek. You got all types of Trek involved in this story. Anything is possible when it comes to Star Trek Equinox. The bottom line is come out, support us. We're damn near close to reaching our goals, but we need your help to make this dream come true. We're going to give you something that Star Trek fans have been waiting for, learning, just wanting to have back on the screen. And we're going to give it to you proud and hard. But we need you guys to go out, support Star Trek Equinox on Kickstarter. We are doing right now videos. We got, like, like David said, we got perks. I will personally guarantee you, whoever gives the biggest amount, I will personally, in Klingon garb, do a video with you and sign whatever you want to sign and everything else under the sun. There's action figures coming. There's posters coming. There's t-shirts coming. Everything that you could possibly want in the Star Trek Equinox and in the Star Trek realm is happening here. We're teaming up with some of the greatest producers around. We got big time actors. We got some of the hottest newcomers coming to the screen for the first time ever. This is your time to show your support and be a part of Star Trek history. Star Trek Equinox is the place to be. And again, go to our Kickstarter page. Support us. You will not regret it. Check out our Star Trek Equinox page on Facebook. Go to Twitter. Tell your friends. Tell your next-door neighbor. Tell the cat. Tell the dog. Have them all sign up for Star Trek Equinox. Because, again, you won't be disappointed. Kapla! Kapla! All right. Well, Cameron, Eric, David, Jason, thank you so very much for stopping by here on Priority One Podcast to talk about Star Trek Equinox, the night of time. We look forward to the success of the project. And as you mentioned, there's no Trek on TV. So uh, it's the projects like yours that really help satiate that desire, that urge to catch more Trek. Well, thank you for very much for having us on. I mean, seriously, it's a major honor. And anytime you want us to come back, we'll be more than happy. We'll bring some more extra special guests for you guys, just for you guys exclusively. Again, we need your support. We need you to come out. We're damn near close to our mark, but we need you guys to help make this Star Trek dream come to life. And again, you will not regret what you're going to see. Thank you all for the support. Well, gentlemen, thank you again so very much for stopping by here on Priority One Podcast. And again, we look forward to the success of Star Trek Equinox. Have a good evening. Thank you. You too. You too. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, Captains, we're at that part of the show where we review your feedback. Last week's community questions for episode 171 were... What do you think about the reports from the Warp article that we reviewed during Trek It Out last week? Do you think that the JJ Trek could be a lot better with several different avenues of immersion? Could Star Wars actually turn out much better than our reimagined Trek just because JJ doesn't have to worry about jumping through licensing hoops with Disney? Our second question was, what is your opinion of Season 9 content? What did you think of the featured episode and what about the new PvE content? So let's get to the first question. The first piece of feedback comes from Rob DMC via PriorityOnePodcast.com. And, and he writes, first of all, congratulations on episode 172. Unlike the congratulation for episode 150, 
that was just a round numbered episode, 172 has a bit more meaning because it marks your episode count to be among the three larger Star Trek series. Priority 1 is now at Voyager status and in a few weeks will pass the next generation. Yo, that I you know, I read that and um it really sunk in. It really did, right? It, it, it 172 episodes. Yay. That is astounding really it, it really is a big number and uh in, especially in in the franchise that we know and love just for that reason is that we're now at the ranks of voyager and soon the next generation how awesome is that guys yeah, that's wild i hadn't thought about that until we got that feedback either had i either had i i'm thinking you know 150 200 no no but like Star Trek Online in season nine, you know, right? This is, the, you know, you mentioned during the interview, uh, Jace, that you know Star Trek is re- Star Trek Online is really the only Star Trek that we can get right now, uh, and season nine, nine seasons in, you know, we're we're still enjoying Star Trek Online. But um, thanks for putting it into perspective, Rob DMC. Thank you very much. That's 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 epic. I wish I had realized this sooner and I would have made a bigger deal about it. Rob DMC goes on to write, As far as the bad robot wanting TOS marketing to stop to avoid brand confusion, I think one large point is missing. If CBS has agreed to that, where would that leave games like Star Trek Online? Yes, Star Trek Online may have been may have benefited from the release of JJ's movies, but if CBS agreed to pull the plug on the original series, marketing and products w- would still have to be shut down. Um, I would like to think not, right? Because Stowe is not the original series. Stowe is beyond the next generation, beyond Voyager, beyond Deep Space Nine. So I don't, I don't think that if they had put a kibosh on the original series, that uh, they w- there would have been a kibosh on on, on Star Trek Online. It, it's just that it's it's Chris Pine in a yellow shirt as a commander, right? Command yellow and. William Shatner in Command Yellow, right? But Picard was in red, right? Well, all of our command is in red now. So I don't, I don't, I don't think that even if if that had happened, I don't think that uh, Stowe would have been at je- in jeopardy. Regardless, I think this still really addresses sort of like the lesser of two evils approach to this concern, where I think your your our real point is more far reaching in how are we going to get more Trek in the future. You know, JJ aside, you know, maybe maybe this was good in the short term in some ways, which a couple people came in with feedback saying like, well, it kind of protected us in a way from JJ just dominating Trek, which, you know, is not necessarily what everybody wants. But what will it mean in the future? JJ is distancing himself from Trek now. You know, he has the executive producer role or whatever, and it's going to be focusing on Star Wars. So where does it go from here? Where does it go in the future? Joe April commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I think that not giving Abrams his way was the best thing CBS could have done. If he was given the green light, we would have gotten a ton of Star Trek multimedia, but it would have been only the JJ universe. The Prime universe would have been sidelined. The argument that any Trek is good for the franchise doesn't hold water if the outcome means that the only Trek we get is JJ's. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I mean, I'm glad that they did. See, my question is, how is the Prime Universe not sidelined now? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, we mean, got a lot of that... feedback saying, like, well, you know, if not for this, 
um, you know, we wouldn't get new Prime Universe movies or TV shows. And frankly, I'm not sure who thinks that that's going to happen. I mean, I'm very, I would love it. Yeah, I don't. Don't get me wrong. I would love it. But I think it's very unlikely. We'll either get more JJ spinoff stuff or we'll get something totally new and different. I hope I'm wrong. I, I would love more Prime Universe Trek. I think it's. I think Prime Universe died with Romulus. I really do. I think you're right in that. I think that whatever licensing thing in the background that we're not aware of probably said something along the lines of, "Yeah, right, no more, no more Prime line. Everything moving forward has to be JJ." And you know what? I, you know, for us, right? For us purists, um, that hurts a little bit, right? Because we know Picard, because we know TNG, because we know Janeway, we know Cisco, right? But, but even the writers themselves have said how they wrote themselves into a hole, right? They wrote themselves into a corner. And JJ's new universe, new timeline, we might see stories that that, that we've that we wanted to see happen even in, in Star Trek primetime, but couldn't because they had written themselves into a hole. We can't do that because in, in episode one, in episode 24 of Voyager, well, we, you know, we said this, this, and that. So... I don't know. It, it It's a double-edged sword. Dan Koheiser writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com that, uh, to this point, as for J.J. Abrams and Star Trek, good or bad, you said one thing that was important. He exposed Star Trek to more people. The licensing issue only affected his desire to make the brand more accessible to more people. CBS and Paramount is like mom and dad fighting about how to raise their child, Star Trek. Either they'll find a way to work out their differences and support the growth of Star Trek, or they'll stun its growth. Hopefully, they'll find a way to work together and raise Star Trek to the level it should be at. And I mean, really, going back to what you were saying, even the other proposals we had heard, like the animated series proposal we talked about a little bit last week, that was a radical departure, right? That was like 90 years in the future. The degradation of subspace made travel difficult in different areas of the galaxy. So that was a way of distancing itself from that canon. I hate to say baggage, because I love canon. I'm a Trek aficionado. I read Memory Alpha. I read novels. I play STO. But it makes it really hard for writers to come in with a fresh idea. So I, I don't know. It's a tough answer. I would really love to see an animated series in in the vein of Tron Uprising. I mean, how much lore is there in Tron? Not much, but man, do I love it. And Tron Uprising was a seriously good animated series. Uh, why not? Why not see Star Trek in an animated series? I mean, are, are we so scarred by the the original animated series <laughs> that that we can't? We just can't. We thinking about it makes our our brain collapse in on itself. I don't think so. I think that we should. I think we should really consider, uh, or CBS or who, the powers that be should really consider an animated series uh, in in the uh, vein of Tron Uprising. Heck, TNG. Why not? Why not TNG in that animated series? Because you can continue with the voices. All the voices are still there. And you don't have to worry about data aging because Brent Spiner's voice doesn't necessarily age. Why not? Why not get a, or a mini-series or a mini-animated movie of TNG? You've got Warner Brothers doing that with their DC Universe. Why not? Why not do that with, with, with Star Trek at this point? If we wanted to continue the Prime Universe. 
Rogue Jawa writes in, uh, commenting via the PriorityOnePodcast.com website, Disney is ready to begin ramping up merchandising for Star Wars. Like Elijah said, it will be everywhere. Disney will do the same amazing job with Star Wars that they've done with Marvel, and Star Trek will be left to flounder because CBS and Paramount can't pull their heads out of their behinds. I have to agree. I have to agree with Rogue. I hope they're wrong, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. So moving on to community question number two, what is your opinion of season nine content? What do you think of the featured episode, and how about the new PVE content? Jason Vesuvia commented on PriorityOnePodcast.com, I'm a fan of the new kit modules from the lockbox, as well as the overall modular changes to kits. I find the new biotech siphon to interact with sweeping swipes really well, which gives tactical captains a flavorful way to stay alive longer in ground combat. That's interesting. I'm going to have to take a look at that. I do like melee on my tactical captain. It's kind of fun instead of just pew-pewing all the time. Yeah, this Jason Vesuvia is my fleetmate Ryan. Oh, cool. If you guys know who that is. But yeah, he's really smart when it comes to mixing stuff together and figuring out what works best. So this is a good tip right here. I like it. I'm gonna have to, I have to get better. Uh, I don't have the professor level status you guys ascribe to me on ground combat. I'm really more of a <laughs> space captain. Uh, Celestia7 writes in on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Regarding season nine content, I would say it was thrilling for me. The featured episode was amazing. The voiceover was good. The storyline is amazing. This gave me the feeling to make multiple reruns of the episode. And what I didn't expect, spoiler alert, is to see Earth Space Dock under attack. That shocked me the most. I, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely my favorite featured episode to date. That was exciting. That was really, it like came together. It was like, wow, this is great. All right, Captains, we also received some feedback outside of the community questions that we asked last week. Anthony Montgomery. Helmsman Travis Mayweather tweeted us, had fun talking Enterprise and miles away. Hashtag miles away world tour 2014 Cherry Hill. Shabingly writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com regarding exploration or the lack thereof nowadays. It'd be a good thing if they could somehow tag planets or stuff in sector with foundry missions. What I mean is you're flying about inside Valorum, for example, go past a planet and you get a pop-up to enter the system. If you do, it starts the top-rated foundry mission that's been tagged for that system. I would really like something like that, even if just the same way that regular missions show up, like if there's a community spotlight featured mission in a certain sector, that it would show up like on that actual map or show up um, on that actual system without having to go through the foundry interface. I, I think that would add a little bit. Uh, you know, yeah. you might stumble across a mission you've never heard of and never seen in that area before. Yeah, I thought that was a good idea. Morgan at Laughing Trendy tweeted us at STL Priority One. Really enjoyed the podcast. Nice work. Thank you, Laughing Trendy. Captains, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, your opinions, your suggestions for the show, Star Trek Online, and the greater Star Trek franchise, and we love to highlight them on the show, so please keep them coming. Reach out to us via facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One, or you can, of course, shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com, or just comment on this episode in the official post on PriorityOnePodcast.com. 
Well, that wraps up episode 172 of Priority One Podcast, recorded live on trekradio.net. Remember, we record Thursday nights live on Trek Radio starting at around 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And you can subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so let us know what you think of the show on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, or now you can call us and leave us a message. And of course, by all means, leave us a comment on PriorityOnePodcast.com's official post for this episode. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STOPriority1. You can even join the Priority One Podcast chat in-game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We are all volunteers, and we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, hosting fees, or to alleviate travel expenses as we cover conventions on location. A very special thanks to everyone who has already contributed and continues to do so on a recurring basis. Without your ongoing support, we would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy from Priority One Podcast. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy, and this week's audio assistant, Midnight Shadow 7, and our new addition to the team, Ben Churchill. A very special thanks to Creation Entertainment for allowing us to interview both Robert Picardo and Anthony Montgomery. A big shout out to the cast and crew of Star Trek Equinox. Make sure to check them out at StarTrekEquinox.com. A very special thanks to Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, for keeping us honest and talking more about Season 9 in an impromptu interview this week. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and of course, Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek Online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage.
5 de mayo. And in the recording and and in the recording booth is come on really <laughs> Me amo esquivi <laughs> And in the recording booth is our audio engineer Wait, you're not going to introduce me? Now Skippy now. No, I I oh yeah, I guess I could say your name. Can you say something normal? Something normal, okay. Fly your escondidas. <laughs> Captains, with everyone still playing season nine content and Elijah having covered the Star Trek convention in Cherry Hill, New Jersey this weekend. During, sorry. I'm sorry, I didn't look at that. <laughs> Am I chopped liver, Elijah? Yeah, what the heck? It's Jace, Elijah, Elijah and Jace. Elijah <laughs> Thank you, Cookie. Okay. Sorry, Jay. Which one of us was there all three days? You're right. Yeah, no. True that. True that. True that. True that. God, okay. I'm just feeling like a douche all no, my time. No, I understand. Well, you did the interview, so that's what's relevant. Admitting it is usually the first step. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shut up, Skippy. <laughs> he said that like 10,000 times tonight. Sunseal, what'd you make for dinner? I'm just curious. She says chicken enchiladas. Chicken enchiladas. In cheese ay, sauce. Ay, for, for Cinco de Mayo, eh? Ah, para mí, chica, me está haciendo, me está haciendo enchiladas de pollo para mí. Oye, hey, pero I será you posible, said we no had four diga. minutes to do this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We Ooh, my one phrase works here. Con queso. <laughs> All right, you two. I'm going to fire you. Please, two minutes, two minutes. And we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, hosting fees, or to alleviate travel expenses as we cover conventions on location. We'd love to see you at the Star Trek Las Vegas Convention. <laughs> listen, captains, as it is right now, listen, this, this is this is after hour right here, okay? We're just talking. It's you. It's me. It's Cookie. It's Chase, okay? It's it's just it's just us. It's just us, okay? Right now, as it is, I'm not going to go to Vegas this year, and either it's going to either it's Cookie or Jace, okay? Without your donations, that reality is just not going to happen. So you've got to donate for those of you listening right now, okay? Just saying, and also donate to TrekRadio.net, of course, right? Because they need to keep the lights on too. But we're just saying, if you want Cookie, Jace, and Elijah to be there this year, okay? We we're going to need you to donate. We are. We're going to need you to donate. Okay. Just for against the unbeaten. And, and I have, want to chime in and say, I, yeah, go ahead. Fine, I'll never oh, talk ever for... again. God. <laughs> I, I was. Not... Oh, now you sound like Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, you do. Just a deeper voice. Sounds 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 like a little fox editing over there. If, uh, if Cookie's uh, if Cookie's co Cookie's comments are being cut out, Cookie's defense. But you know what? I couldn't think of the ship name. I was saying Raiders or something, but it was yeah, it's a Raider, it's a Cylon Raider. It's a Cylon Raider. Yeah, I couldn't think. But to, to be fair, her comment. But came you know like what? The, Thirty minutes after yeah, the it was like at the end of the episode. <laughs> okay. I was trying to interrupt you guys, but I couldn't get a word in.
Okay, so I, I think before you before you do the sign off, I think we've covered you know most of the stuff. This is great. All the all the issues are covered. Now we got to get to the most important issue, huh. which is that Al Rivera called my editing Fox Newsish, and oh. uh, I don't know if I'm gonna <laughs> buy another Fox I might need to tweet again. that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to defend cupcakes here because because uh, well, she says that her com- you she, she said that she she yeah I mean because she said that she uh, she she gave a counterpoint to Elijah and that kind of kind of got pulled well you know out. to that Skippy's defense it's because <laughs> it's because I kept messing up on I couldn't think of the name of the ship of the right. Cylon ship and he was probably to be like, fair oh, it did almost make the blooper real. <laughs> it almost made the blooper reel, yes. Maybe now he has to put it right. Just uh, just make sure there's no shenanigans going over there, Cookie. Just just uh, keep an eye on them. Keep them honest. <laughs> That's great. So before we sign off, is there anything anything else like that we may have missed? Or? Yeah, I want I want to hear my name played to harps, by the way, too. Oh, we can. Because oh, I yes. feel a little left out. I feel a little left out. We'll have a five-minute ring. Nick's, Nick's, get, Nick's getting far too much love over there, and so. I feel I feel a little cold. We, we will have a five-minute ringtone. You want it, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, or just Al Rivera, or Captain Gecko? Oh, this this uh, surprise surprise me. <laughs> I'm gonna have Elliot recording. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> that'd be fine. I still want to be. I just don't want to be left out. That's I, all I right. want Jason recorded can, in the most monotone voice possible. <laughs> Oh, I can't even get through his name, yeah. so don't have me read it. He'll be he'll be tweeting if me. If I knew you were gonna do that, Skippy, I would have said it with a little more. Ow, just some guy Rivera. Ow, just some guy Rivera. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm eternally thankful to Skippy for that blooper reel. That's great. Uh, I love the bloopers. Uh, can't finish can't finish my Monday okay. without the bloopers. Oh man, so. sometimes. Ow, Captain so, so what's the Rivera. They don't interrupt her. <laughs> everybody hits. Okay, okay, okay. Everybody hits stop and audacity, please, just for now. Sing to you. You're my best friend.